This is the Unmuted Podcast by Mosaic, hosted by Bella Passi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unmuted Podcast. I'm your host, Bella Passi. Unmuted is a podcast where we host conversations on pressing issues in today's society, including things like social protest, Black Lives Matter, COVID, and reconciliation. We will host interviews with a diverse group of students from the PLNU community. Unmuted focuses on topics that may be considered hard to talk about, but show that by having the conversation, we can start the change that is needed in these times. And for today's conversation, we will be discussing the Christian feminist. With me, I have two guests, Dr. Carol Lyons-Pardue and Joanne Yu. We're so excited to have them here with us today as they share their experiences. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Unmuted. We're so excited to be here again and have another awesome episode. Um, And I'm so excited to have these two people in front of me. Um, Before we get started, as always, um, if I could have you guys introduce yourself, tell us your name, a little bit about yourself, um, and, you know, why you're here for this specific episode. I'll go first. <laughs> my name is Dr. Kara Lyons-Pardue. Well, my parents didn't name me doctor. Um, that <laughs> is a title. And um, I've been teaching at Point Loma for 10 years now. I'm professor of New Testament. I also teach our Greek classes. And in that role and in my position as um, someone an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene, I get a lot of questions about the intersection of being a woman in this role mm-hmm. and how we read the biblical texts that talk about women. Uh, that's a part of my job that I cherish and love. I'm a champion for uh, women in leadership in all sectors, but particularly in the church. So I think that's why I got invited. <laughs> I also am co-director of the Center for Women's Studies here on Point Lomas campus uh, with my co-director, Dr. Kelly McCoy. Amazing. Thank you. Hi, I'm Joanne. I am a junior nursing major at Point Loma, and um, I think that I'm here because I am the treasurer of Break, which is an amazing club on campus and emphasizes on gender equality. And also, I had a really unique experience in high school, like learning about different like hidden histories in America, and it like sparked up this passion of like social justice and like fighting like social inequalities and that like includes like being a feminist as well so awesome thank you both um I always say this about every topic and I mean it about every topic that I'm always excited to you know dive in hear people's opinions um but this one specifically definitely is close to my heart because I think this is a conversation I'm always continuously navigating as a feminist and as a Christian um And so I'm really excited to kind of dive in today with you guys about it. Um, But, you know, before we start, as our listeners know, I always like to provide a little bit of historical context to lay the groundwork um, for kind of what we're going to be talking about, the concepts, all those things. So I think it's so funny that I'm going to be like, I'm going to tell you about the history of feminism, because that would be a really, really long story. blurb long speech so I'm just going to tell you about the bare minimum points of the history of feminism so feminine feminine oh off to a good start there (laughs) feminism is a movement a principle and a voice for the advocacy of equal rights for women the first wave of feminism in the 19th and early 20th centuries included an increased interest in the place of women in religion women who were campaigning for their rights began to question their 
inferior inferiority, wow, I'm struggling today, both within the church and in other spheres, which had previously been justified by church teachings. Some Christian feminists of this period were Marie Margaret, Catherine Bushnell, Catherine Booth, Frances Willard, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. During the 1960s and 1970s, many evangelical women were influenced by the civil rights movement. Christian feminists began writing and publishing articles that address reproductive rights as well as inequality in marriage and in the religious hierarchy. In response to these articles, groups such as the EWC or Evangelical Women's Caucus and the ESA or Evangelicals for Societal Action were formed in order to create a societal movement in the church towards equality, which was motivated by the Christian feminist ideal that God created all people as equals. In the mid-1990s, women created the third wave, which promoted intersectionality, the awareness that all women do not share the same levels of discrimination just because they are women within the feminist movement. As women began to include intersectionality, they started to realize that all of the issues in regard to feminism needed to be in the public eye. Women started to speak out about mistreatment in the workplace and body image, which turned into the fourth wave of feminism. So that's just a really brief introduction to feminism. And I think it we could have talked about it a ton more. And that kind of more, I think, pertains to um, feminism as it pertains to like religion and things like that. Um, but I want to go a little deeper with that and talk about this principle now that's been introduced of Christian feminism. So Christian feminism is a school of Christian theology, which, which seeks to advance and understand the equality of men and women morally, socially, spiritually, and in leadership from a Christian perspective. Christian feminists argue that contributions by women and an acknowledgement of women's values are necessary for a complete understanding of Christianity. Christian feminists believe that God does not discriminate on the basis of biologically determined characteristics such as sex and race, but created all humans to exist in harmony and equality regardless of race or gender. Christian feminists generally advocate for anti-essentialism as a part of their belief system, acknowledging that gender identities identities do not mandate a certain set of personality traits. Their major issues include the ordination of women, the biblical equality in marriage, recognition of equal spiritual and moral abilities, reproductive rights, integration of gender-neutral pronouns with within readings of the Bible, and the search for a feminine or gender-transcendent divine. Christian feminists often draw on the teachings of other religions and ideologies in addition to biblical evidence and other Christian-based texts throughout the history that advocate for women's rights. Whew. Okay. History lesson over for the second. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I always lay the groundwork just to give people who might not be as familiar with what we're talking about um, a little bit of knowledge as we dive in deeper to these concepts. Um, so I kind of want to begin with both of you in terms of asking you, you know, where do you, can you give us an idea of kind of where you identify within this conversation, um, both within, you know, the context as um, within the context of feminism, within the context of Christianity, um, and basically, you know, sharing your own perception of what both of those concepts mean to you as an individual. So um, when I talk about this, I often make sure that people understand that, just as you said, feminism is the viewpoint, the advocacy that um, regardless of sex or gender identity, that humans are worthy, um, deserve equal justice, have varying skills and callings, and um, should be treated equally. And so um, I see that all over scripture, and I absolutely uh, see it 
in my own Christian faith. And so at that base level, um, setting aside the various political associations that we might have with the term feminist, and I grew up I'm dating myself here, but I was in middle school and high school when Rush Limbaugh was becoming really popular, mm. and he championed the term feminazi. And so I came with all sorts of negative associations with the term feminism. Um, and some Christian feminists would use terms like egalitarian or something to, to emphasize the equal status. But I think that— um, it's important to reclaim the term feminism uh, because of its historic roots, very Christian roots indeed, um, with the first um, council on, what was it called, um, a convention on women's suffrage being held in a Wesleyan church mm -hmm. in Seneca Falls, New York. So there are very Christian origins to feminism, and I think those need to be reclaimed and the, the negative associations really called out for what they are um, fear-based. And so as a Christian, um, as a believer in a Wesleyan denomination, I, I mean, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm a member of this Wesleyan tradition, and um, I see in Christ the welcome of all people and um, treating women as equal disciples, commissioning Mary Magdalene with the good news of the resurrection as the first one to really get to preach the full gospel. And so um, I I see my Christianity and my feminism as absolutely in harmony, and uh, maybe I can stop there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry, I can go now. Um, so actually, like in your class, we learned about like the different topics and like the different ways to like interpret the Bible, and I think that that really like helped me and my like eyes open as to like realizing that like the Bible isn't just something that you um, that's like written by God. It's like a divine like word or something. Like it can also be interpreted in different ways as well. And so like that thing that like was really important when reading the Bible and like looking at the different pronouns that are used in the Bible that like necessarily like don't align with like female pronouns. And so like growing up as a Christian, like in a very Christian household, like it was really like hard to see like a lot of like fem female like leaders and like also seeing like female pastors was like a really rare thing to like come across. And so I think the journey of like, or like fighting for like equality within like, uh, like a Christian standpoint is like really important as well. Yes, definitely. Um, thank you. And I, I like to ask that question to start off of, you know, where do you both um, sit in both of those, you know, both of these large, very broad, um, concepts, entities, everything, because I think it's important to address that, you know, you could be a feminist and I could be a feminist, but we could have very different ideas of like what that means to each of us. Um, and to an extent also like the same with Christianity, with my, like it's very different. So, um, and I think that's so important in having this conversation too, because like you said, um, with the term feminazi, like I know so many people who, when they hear the word feminist, they have a very clear distinction of like, oh, I know then like what this means, what this looks like, you know, feminists hate men, yada, yada, yada. And I am like, I do not hate men. That is <laughs> not true and stuff. But um, I can also understand from the historical context of why you might think that, but this is actually like what it means to me and to a lot of other people too. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think that sets a great tone for how we're going to like, you know, 
as we dive deeper into this conversation. Um, and um, Dr. LP, you kind of already talked about this a little bit, but um, I want to ask a little further with you guys, you know, from your own knowledge and experiences, um, from, you know, what you had growing up, your own life after learning a little bit more about each thing, um, what are the commonalities and differences that feminism and Christianity, you know, have in relation to one another? Um, sometimes I think it's easy to just put it out there and then we can like dive deeper a little bit into it after that. Joanne, why don't you go first? <laughs> um, I think some commonalities between like feminism and Christianity are like that they both like fight for equal rights. Um, I actually had a really hard time like thinking about like trying to like think about different ways to like answer this question because I just I feel like because they're both like very broad topics it's like really hard to like understand like how you're saying how there's different like ideas of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a feminist. And like, um, there's so many people that I've met that like claim to be Christian feminists, but like don't necessarily like fight for like equal fem like female rights. And so like that disconnect between the two um, terms is like really interesting because I feel like those two ideas like go hand in hand. And like, I think that social justice and Christianity both go hand in hand as well. And so like, that's something that um, is, like, an important thing that, like, I think people should understand and, like, emphasize as well. But, um, but yeah, like, I think some of the differences between the two are, like, are the fact that there is, like, that, like, big disconnect. And, like, also that people don't really understand, like, the definition between the two. And so, like, even going as to, like, oh, like, what does this concept mean? And what does that concept mean? Like, breaking those things down would be, like, a way for people to, like, understand um, how they identify within, like, both. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, I think the the disconnect that a lot of people see is um, just what you're saying, a, a difference between what is proclaimed and what is enacted, but also mm -hmm. the idea that organized religion is by nature hierarchical, which I hear, and, and patriarchal, which um, is absolutely has historical um, support to that. I hear that tossed around a lot, like, well, if you're really a feminist, how can you be participating in an institution that has sought to confine women's roles um, in such pronounced ways. Uh, what's what's interesting, and I, I, I think Christians need to confront that, confront mm -hmm. that history, and not just women's roles, but um, based on ethnic and racial and socioeconomic lines that the church has at times um, been far more in favor of the people in power rather than um, continuing with its mission and message. And so um, at the same time, uh, what's fascinating is the Christian origins of this movement called feminism um, and absolutely the fact that um, the same scripture from which people can kind of wield certain verses as clubs, I think we're going to turn to those ultimately, but that same set of sacred texts also provides resources and a rich place for our imagination to flourish regarding various roles that women can have rather than confining and picking, you know, 1950s housewife as like what the model of a Christian <laughs> woman is meant to be. Like what a relatively recent phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. Where a nuclear family lives alone and a woman stays home while her husband goes to an office or something like, 
my goodness, that, that's not <laughs> traditional actually at all. Um, but in scripture, we have this wide range of, uh, of judges, of prophets, of mothers, of um, rebels in all sorts of ways, uh, of daughters who um, sacrifice greatly. And we have horror stories as well. Mm-hmm. Our same scripture um, that can be used and weaponized uh, more richly provides us resources and cries out. The stories of women who were exploited or mistreated are preserved for us to have to confront generation after generation. And so I think we have models there to aspire to mm-hmm. and also a truth-telling that our culture is really even today uncomfortable with. Um, hearing without comment these stories of um, what Phyllis Tribble, a famous Old Testament scholar, has called texts of terror, the stories of um, that get preserved, particularly in Israel's scriptures, of women who are uh, the victims of violence and of oppression. I'll just say one more thing. Um, for many Christian feminists, the starting point is the way that Genesis 1 speaks of creation, that God when God creates in God's image, creates male and female. And so there is in each of us a reflection of who God is and um, the ways that's expressed then, whether male or female, are multiply varied just as our God is so great and um, has so many diverse features. Mm, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, and something you said too about, you know, how from this from the feminist side, how people can say like, oh, how can you partake in this? And I feel like I've heard that especially so much um, from, you know, family, from other people who have different things. And part of this conversation for me is I realize like, I feel like I'm always feeling guilty both as a Christian and then both as a feminist, because by being both sometimes, um, it feels like not more like from society's point of view that like I'm just never doing the best in either one because I have these beliefs in both of them and I like advocate for both of them. Um, So yeah, I think it's really interesting because I do agree um, because I think there is a sense too where we always think about it from maybe being Christians from the side of like, oh, um, you know, there's a higher thing in religion telling us as like to be feminist is like going against what your belief system is. But there's also, I think, um, something where you have feminists or like parts of feminism saying to be a Christian is like also going against that. And that's also does not feel what great either and stuff. So um, I like, I just like acknowledging that part too. Um, So I want to kind of go deeper with you guys in the sense of giving examples if maybe people can relate to this, but have you ever had you know, um, experiences. Actually, you know what? Wait, hold on. Before we do that, I want to talk about, because I think this will be a good way to lead into it, but the arguments that are commonly heard um, for being against Christian feminism and what that entails, and then we can talk about that. But to start off, rights related to freedom of religion or belief and gender equality are often seen to be in contradiction with one another. Underlying this perception or misperception of a normative clash between the two is very often an understanding of uh, FORB, which stands for rights related to freedom of religion or belief, um, as a right that protects religion and often conservative patriarchal religion. For some, this means that FORB is seen as inherent opposite 
is seen as an inherent obstacle to achieving gender equality for others. Gender equality is seen as a threat to the protection of religious values and practices. Um, so let's see. Modern day feminism may be perceived differently than the past, but the same passion is behind the movement today. Equal freedoms for women. When it comes to the church, there's a slow and quieter uprising for women as female leaders are beginning to take on the challenge. Um, so I just want to like say that a little bit to give a little bit more context of like, this is why people are saying, you know, um, feminism doesn't necessarily belong in the intersection of Christianity. Um, but now I want to ask you guys, have you had any experiences where people have been strongly for or strongly against Christian feminism? And what was that experience like for you? And more so I'm asking, have you had any experiences with people being strongly against um, Christian feminism? And can you kind of describe that situation for us? I actually have like an experience where um, like people were like for Christian feminists because mm -hmm. I actually was um, at, like, like I was saying, like in, in high school when I like started learning more about like hidden histories and stuff, I had a really like big struggle with my faith and like trying to like understand like, oh, like so many Christians preach like, all of these things about like, like women should be like at the home and all these like different like ideas of like what women should be like. But like, I don't think that that's like right. And there's like some that like disconnect between like the, like Christianity and and like feminism caused like me to like have like this internal like battle within myself, like trying to figure out like if Christianity was like something I wanted to continue to like be a part of. And um, so I talked to like my, like my pastors about this, like, struggle that I had and an important like something that really stuck with me was like the idea that um like in the beginning of like Genesis like Genesis 1 where it said that God created like um God created like Adam and Eve but like God didn't give Adam and Eve like didn't assign gender roles to them in the beginning of Genesis and like up, up until Genesis 2 like when sin occurred that's when gender roles started to be assigned and like that's when women were like seen to be like stuck in the household and like only meant for like child labor and like God gave child labor as like a punishment to like women. And like, and then like you see like the later in like the New Testament where Jesus comes back and like then is like an advocate and like shows like what a like a Christian should look like as like someone who like uplifts and brings people up, um, like people who are struggling and like helping them like um, have like quality and so I think that's like something that it's like that stuck out to me that's awesome um I think it's so interesting because I grew up in a family in which um absolutely a strong Christian family which it sounds like we have in common here um and one in which my capacity and my future was something that um, was praised and spoken of kind of wide open, like that I could be whatever I wanted. And yet the messaging that we receive um, is our families can't protect us from everything. And I remember at some point um, there was like a search for a pastor in my home church. And I remember a question on the sheet. Um, I had just barely been old enough to be a member and it asked, would you be okay with a woman pastor? And my knee-jerk reaction was like, pastors aren't women. Like mm. what? <laughs> so in the church in the Nazarene, from its outset, so from our earliest days before women had the legal right to vote, um, 
in the United States, women could be ordained as ministers in the Church of the Nazarene. And yet I had internalized these messages from not seeing it. I never had a female pastor. There were women children's pastors, but that fit with that kind of cultural model of women, your places with young children. Um, and uh, I don't know that anyone intended me to receive those messages. And yet things that are unspoken and the ways things are practiced communicate very deeply. And so my knee-jerk reaction was, no, I don't think that's right, although I had never been told that. Later, when I received myself a call to ministry, which I play out in my role as a pastor, and I, I mean, as a professor, and I do preach in, in local churches often as well, um, when I received that call to preach, I couldn't envision what that would look like. I couldn't imagine myself in the role of preacher. And in fact, even at that time when I heard preaching, to me, the term preacher or pastor meant man. And so I had to imagine my calling to ministry to be something different, maybe kind of supportive ministry, maybe a ministry in education. Now, that is where it turned out to lead me. However, my role in the classroom is as proclaimer, as educator, teacher, and authority. And so um, it has been really a revolution in my own mind, my own um, restricted imagination um, based on the fact that growing up, anytime I heard preacher, I always heard them referred to as a he. Anytime I heard pastor, it was always a he or him. And those words sink rather deeply in. And so that's part of why, because words are so powerful, um, when I notice people have a knee-jerk reaction to the term feminist or the idea of gender-inclusive language, like, hey, when we're talking about Christians or even when we're talking about God, let's take note of our pronouns. When people have that same knee-jerk reaction that I myself experienced, I think that's a time to dig deep and say, what messages have we internalized? Mm. What does that mean that we think about God? If you cannot imagine using a pronoun other than he, what well, does that mean that you actually think that the divinely other God conforms to human standards of mm -hmm. gender? Um, but there's often pushback. And so I, I would just say that um, usually my students at Point Loma are incredibly respectful and kind in my classrooms, but it, it shows up in evaluations. Um, I have been called an angry feminist or things like that, simply for holding up women's stories from scripture and challenging the perception of um, women uh, that they shouldn't be leaders in the church. And um, one other story comes to mind if I can share it really fast. Mm -hmm. I had a student come up. This was back when, you know, students can come in our office buildings <laughs> and whatnot. Um, I had a student come up and she was interviewing for for the, um, the Point Weekly. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to talk to a religious authority. She she said, I, I need to talk to somebody who is a Bible professor or a pastor. And I said, well, perfect, because I am. And she said, um, huh, is there, is there anyone else? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I mean, it's a Friday afternoon, so we can look and see if there's anybody else in their office. And there was. And she's like, I think I'm going to talk to him. Mm. And at some point, she said, like, I, I wanted a, a real Bible professor. Mm. And, um, well, that cut a little deep um, because, you know, PhD and a job, <laughs> and I thought I was doing all right. Uh, I was coming out of my office where there are stacks of books. Like, I, in every way, uh, believed I was a real Bible professor. Um, but what she was 
having trouble vocalizing what were these unspoken assumptions mm-hmm. and that I, as a woman, just could not be the authority that she wanted me to be or wanted someone to be in that mm-hmm. moment. And so those, I mean, the fact that I remember that nine years later, um, it tells you that it, it can hurt. Um, and yet, I, I need to say that hasn't been the majority of my experience, actually. Um, and I'm grateful for that because I know for some women in ministry and in positions of leadership, that is a, a, a weekly occurrence, if not more often. And so I count myself really blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things wound. Yeah, they do. definitely. I can only mm. imagine. I think when you were speaking, too, it reminded me of like when we talk about like political efficacy and stuff and, you know, meaning that we— as young, especially for, you know, women, like as young girls, when we see politicians um, on TV and stuff and the people who are around us, um, if you see more, if you see women politicians around you, then you have that assumption of like, oh, I could do that. Like as a woman, I can also be that. But sadly, you know, I think we're increasing that, but we still, like there is a big discrepancy in women politicians versus men politicians. And I think that concept, like that applies here too, um, of like you said, when you're young, as a young child, you, when you don't see, you only see men mm-hmm. reading the church, then you have that automatic assumption of like, oh, that's not where I belong at all. That's like, that's not me. Um, my brother can do it, other people, but I don't do that yeah. and stuff. Um, which I think there's something to be said there then in terms of, because I don't think leading churches in the sense of a pastor is um, the only way to lead as a Christian at all. But I do think it puts almost a limit or capability on then women's potential to lead others in Christ and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is so counterproductive to, I think what we believe in our faith and all of those things. Um, and it's sad. Um, and you're right, but it is, I think, exciting and it's so slow and I wish it was a lot sooner, but we do have more women now being advocates who are leaders like you in the church. And I think that's going to have such an amazing, profound, and pro- already does profound effect though on children who are so impressionable and everything you see um, is going to impact them in terms of their own self-identity and things like that. Um, but... I hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's the goal, I'm hoping, yeah. yeah. Um, but words do cut so deep. And I have had, you know, discussions, I think, with people who um, maybe, like, for me also, words just hold so much weight and they mean a lot. Um, but I've had discussions with people where, like, in close people where they're like, you know, well, if you're a feminist, then how can you be a Christian? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, like, those are two things that, makeup are super like I put a lot of value in and have so much weight in my identity and how I see myself and I hope how God sees me and you just like dismantled that a little bit like (laughs) just with those like couple of words um so it is interesting I think because I don't think people necessarily always understand that this is not just like me yelling about like, oh, you need to do this and this, but it's just like truly like a mission or a, like what we believe and what we advocate for and fight for others who can't have that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like even um, coming to like Point Loma, I like, e- in like high school, like I didn't really have a lot of like Christian friends, but when I came to Point Loma, that's when I like started meeting people and they like told me that like women cannot be pastors and like, 
And like that that statement like really like stuck with me because like I've never really like had anyone like growing up like tell me that. I know that there was like very like um very like subtle things like throughout the church and like I've only seen like male pastors in my church too, but um having someone like explicitly say that and like that's like something I also had to like struggle with and navigate like coming to um, a liberal Christian university that is like filled with people who come from all various backgrounds that are connected through like Christ, but have different ideas of what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, like, I feel like negative, like, um, experiences of like, of like how, what, like, how can you be a Christian? And like, how can you be a feminist is like such a big thing that like a lot of people like go through like a lot of like my friends that I have talked to as well like have had experiences where people come up and they're like it doesn't like it doesn't make sense at all like there's like a big disconnect between the two but I think that there really isn't Mm -hmm. a big disconnect which is like uh something that's like really something that people should like dive into and like Mm -hmm. understand and yeah learn yeah definitely um, and I think like for me, at least, and I'm sure you guys have, I'm sure you have especially encountered this, but a lot of the time people who, you know, have a, um, different point of view than I do in terms of this discussion, a lot of time quote, you know, passages from the Bible, um, to kind of back up their, you know, argument and stuff. And so like, like for example, one that I hear a lot, um, is Ephesians, 522 where it's wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husbands for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands um and it goes on but I feel like I hear that one always quoted to me um and so I kind of want to hear your guys's opinions you know like what is your opinion on people using passages from the Bible um, to substantiate the ideas that you cannot be both a Christian and a feminist. Yeah, well, I actually have like a really big experience of like that happening to me. Um, like in my high school, I had my one of my teachers came into the classroom and like used the Bible, like quoted the Bible and was like, this is why like the Bible is like used as a way to like, in, like hold women in the household and like, mm-hmm. it's like, and use like those passages and use like Genesis as well as like, to be like, hey, like, look, you can't be a feminist and you can't be a Christian at the same time because it's so contradictory from each other. And like, while I was sitting in that classroom, like I was like struggling with like, am I, am I still a Christian? Like, I don't know what I was like, I don't know. Um, and I was like looking and like trying to like figure out like, why she had so much like anger and like like hatred toward not hatred but like just like so much like built up like anger towards like Christianity and it, it makes sense because like traditionally like Christians are seen like um are not supposed to like hold like feminist values if they are like a Christian and so like um I had like a really big like conversation with like my other like teachers in that program who were also Christian and like female and like trying to have a conversation to, like, understand, like, why there's such a big, like, difference or, like, such a—it's, like, such a big topic of discussion. Um, but, yeah, it, that would—yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that 
You absolutely have nailed it here that the way that these passages have been used by um, interpreters, people claiming the name of Christ to cause so much pain and to tell people that things are true about themselves that in themselves they feel can't be. Like, if I know myself, I know that God didn't create me. So here I'm just going to talk personally. Some women um, absolutely find their ultimate purpose in motherhood, in um, supporting a husband at home. I love my husband and I love my children. And uh, I was going to say but, but and I love uh, my work and find fulfillment in my calling in ministry and leadership and teaching. Uh, those things, uh, if I'm told that I must give one up, that one's wrong, no wonder there's this anger. No wonder there is um, resentment. But um, Bella, what you pointed out, I mean, I wasn't expecting you to go to Ephesians 5, but it's a perfect mm -hmm. place to go because— there are all sorts of scriptures that, when taken in isolation, um, can be and certainly are used for incredible harm. Um, we need to—I mean, this sounds like escalating the conversation so much, but we have to remember that um, the Germans in the 1930s and 40s in, under Hitler's regime Absolutely—and uh, Hitler himself would have called himself a Christian, and they were able to find passages of Scripture mm. that, when extracted for them from their context, gave them what they thought was divine authorization um, to do incredibly horrible and destructive things. We don't have to go to another country to find that, though. Uh, within America's own history, Scripture has been used both pro and against the, our horrible history of— um, of slavery, uh, of chattel slavery, where um, so many African Americans lost their lives and were treated like property. And so we don't have to jump to Germany in that extreme case. We have a, an extreme case um, in our own country, not to mention treatment of indigenous persons. I mean, we could, the list goes on and on. And, um, and I think part of what I was saying initially is that um, there was a stage in my life in which I wanted to hide from them. Be like, no, 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 that's not Christian. That's not right. I don't want to talk about that. Likewise, with some of these passages, I wanted to say like, mm, no, let's read the gospels instead. Like redirect, you know, like <laughs> let's go a different way. But I think part of what we need to do as Christians and as people for whom the truth is tantamount, we need to acknowledge um, and name these sins, name these abuses, and deal with these passages head on. By ignoring them, they get used by people who will treat them in disrespectful ways. So what I would say as a Bible professor is context, context, context. Mm -hmm. um, historical context is incredibly important. Um, that passage of wives submitting to their husbands— Within broader Greco-Roman society of the time, that's like yawn. Yep, it's a Tuesday. Oh, actually, it's a Wednesday today. But you know, <laughs> um, that would be like saying the sun rises in the morning. Mm. Like, duh, that's what wives are supposed to do. But if we read, and so historical context matters, but literary context matters as well. So if we read the rest of Ephesians 5, and you see me like wanting to reach for my Bible, <laughs> but I know what it's going to say. Mm -hmm. If you look at the preceding verse, the command for all Christians is submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for God. This is the command that is given to everyone. And so wives first, like, hey, good wives, submit to your husbands. But then the command to husbands comes next. And that wouldn't have been a yawn. That wouldn't have been passe. Like that wives submit to their husbands. Yeah, that's all over Greco-Roman law, 
that's all over their practice. But the next thing is husbands love your wives. Okay, maybe they love their wives. No, no, no. Love your wives in the way that Christ loved the church that is giving himself up for it. Mm -hmm. And so how much, what should you not be willing to give over to your wives? Well, what did Jesus not give over for the church? Nothing. Mm -hmm. He went to the point of death. And so that is where, I mean, Paul or there's some debate about whether Paul wrote Ephesians. That doesn't matter for now. Paul, um, as the uh, authority here, is, is smart. He leads with something that would have been accepted, that is a way in which marriage does work, that one another, um, that there's this mutual mutual interchange of, okay, I want this, but I see you need this. And um, so we submit to one another in order to, to make things work. Uh, but beginning by talking about husband, I mean, wives submit to your husbands, like everybody's like, oh yes, good wives do that. And then husbands mm -hmm. love your wives to the point of death sacrificial, humiliating death, actually, if we take Jesus's death in context, suddenly people are sitting up in their seats like, excuse me, Paul, what are you asking? And within that passage, which I think is Ephesians 5 through 6, not going to be my wall decals, okay? I'm just going to say they're not my favorite passages, and yet they're ones that we have to face head on. Mm -hmm. Because in it, um, Paul seems to assume that the master-slave relationship, so to move on further, that the master-slave relationship is perpetual. Um, and yet, again and again, the husband, the father, and the master who gets mentioned in here is the same man. It's the male head of household. And again and again, his behavior, he doesn't, what he says doesn't go. He is subject to God. Mm -hmm. And so again and again, it is this like paterfamilias, this person who would have been absolute in the Greco-Roman household, who finds again and again his behavior, his conduct being constrained into the likeness of Christ. And so while that passage presents all sorts of problems, if we know, if we're offended by the right things, surprised by the right things, we might be radically shocked by the way in which Paul wants to constrain male power, patriarchal power, even within his own time and within his own structures. So that's just one example of a place where I think historical context and literary context really can revolutionize and are, are required, or else we are just, just going to be um, cutting out our favorite pet passages of scripture. Mm. And then it says whatever we want to. Really, you can make it say whatever you want <laughs> mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. But again, I, I <laughs> wax um, eloquent on this because this is, you know, my particular <laughs> area. <laughs> yes. No, and thank you. I think that is so helpful, especially what you said just about, like, context. And it matters. And I think that applies to this conversation, but to a lot of other conversations we've had in other episodes of like context matters for what we're talking about. And we need to acknowledge the context to be able to move forward and push growth in that conversation as well. Um, so as we're coming more to the end part of this conversation, we've talked about this term of intersectionality. And I want to put a definition there so people kind of know what that definition, what the word means, and then we're going to talk about how this applies directly, specifically within what we're talking about in this discussion. So intersectionality is an analytical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination and privilege. Example, examples of these aspects are gender, 
sex, race, class, sexuality, religion, disability, physical appearance, and height. Um, and then Kimberly Crenshaw, an American law professor who coined the term in 1989, explained intersectional feminism as a prism for seeing the way in which various forms of inequality often operate together and exacerbate uh, each other in a recent interview with time all inequality is not created equal she says um so i wanted to just reference that as we dive into this next question then of do you believe christianity and feminism are intersectional um and why or why not i think well i've talked a ton so yeah. can i just say that i think um the acknowledgement, and I'm embarrassed of how late I learned this term. If it was coined in 1989, I didn't until about 2014 even encounter the term intersectional. Mm. So that shows that, you know, my reading hasn't been broad enough. Um, and absolutely, I, I think that um, feminism and Christianity have to acknowledge the intersections of identities that form our very selves and our experience of the world. And I think this is one of the places where, and this is why I wanted to go first, to just say that that is the context of our lives matter. So context also, not just in reading passages of scripture, but naming the context, our social context out of which we approach these texts. Mm -hmm. And if we are only reading them with people like us, who agree with us politically, socially, who voted for the same people, who live on our same cul-de-sac or whatever, you know, and here I'm talking from positions of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. Like if those are the only um, encounters we're having with other Christians or with people's views on gender and gender roles, if they're only with people just like us, um, then they're going to be um, malnourished, right? They're not going to have the full buffet that is human experience. And so having conversations with people with whom we disagree or people who are different than us, people with different sorts of privilege or less or more privilege than us, um, opens us up to being able to see the real context out of which people experience um, experience experience life and experience Christianity, um, experience female identity. And so I just think that um, this term is so perfect for recognizing, um, I mean, I, I spoke earlier so praisingly about the early Christian origins of feminism, but also they were racist origins, mm -hmm. and that, that has mm -hmm. to be named. And so this, um, again, the confessional possibilities of Christianity, I think, are part of what makes our engagement with um, feminism, something that is consistently growing and pushing us to more radically embody the inclusive mm -hmm. love of God. Um, and part of that is having to admit, boy, we've really messed this up mm -hmm. at various times. Boy, even in my interactions, I have really limited or spoken from positions of my own um, racial or class privilege, um, educational privilege. And so, um, yeah, these contexts matter in all sorts of ways. Yeah, I actually thought, like, a really cool point that you brought up was um, the idea that, like, people should t interact and, like, engage in conversation with people who don't think like us. And, like, I have a really big experience with that, like, coming to Point Loma, like, um, having really hard conversations with, like, um, like a, f a couple of friends that I had where we— disagreed on like almost everything that we believed in mm -hmm. which was really hard like it was a hard conversation and we were like we both understand that this conversation is not going to be easy and 
like, and if it ever gets hard, like, we're going to take a break and, but we're going to be as respectful as we can with each other. And so, like, with that, like, I was, and I think that even though it was so hard, I was able to grow so much and, like, learn so much more about, like, Christianity and what it means to be a Christian feminist. And so, yeah, I do think think that there is a lot of intersectionality between them and also in order to, like, grow in your knowledge and, like, grow in your faith, also grow as, like, a social justice advocate, like, being able to have conversations and communicate with people from all different backgrounds helps, um, like, bridge these, like, ideas because also when you have conversations with people who don't think like you, you also make them think about your point of view as well. Like, so they're, they have their minds, like, thinking about, like, why are there Christian feminists and, like, how, why do they exist and, like, how are ways that I can, like, help them? Mm -hmm. If not, if they don't want to help, like, like, just think about, like, why they exist. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like what you said, too, about um, having conversations with people who have different points of view because you're helping them think about things in a new light, and they're helping you also think about things in a new light. I had a conversation last week, actually, with somebody who had a different point of view than me but was trying to understand, and I was also trying to understand them. And so I really appreciated that conversation. And it was interesting because I think when they talked about gender equality and feminism— and then, and then Christianity, they viewed it as like me having these two different separate things I believed and just putting them next to each other. Mm. And I explained to them, I was like, no, like I care about feminism, women's rights, all of these things because of my Christian faith. And I was like, I had an experience, very interesting enough, I had an internship um, like when I was a freshman in college and I worked for a church and that was where— I had experienced tons of gender discrimination from other male counterparts in the church. And I was like, that experience was what prompted me to be like, okay, I care about this. I'm realizing so much and I want to be an advocate. And that's what led me to be then when I was a student, the president of break. Um, And I was explaining it to this person. I was like, that wasn't by mistake. That was, I know God setting me on this journey that I am now on for like the rest of my life of being like, hey, you had this experience. And there are a lot of other people who've maybe had similar experiences or very different experiences, but like be an advocate for them. You know what I mean? So it was really interesting to talk with them because I think for them, they were like, oh, like that is because of your faith that you're doing it, not side by side. Um, And so as we move on, like my advice to people who are, I guess, navigating this dichotomy or what is perceived as a dichotomy um, is that it can be super overwhelming (laughs) no matter what to have these conversations with loved ones, whoever it is. Um, And I think the thing when I feel like I'm losing sight of the goal or the prize um, um, is that I always turn back to myself and turn back to my personal relationship with God um, and remember that and be like, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. Um, And so I always think it's good to reflect on your past in those ways um, and your relationship with God to kind of steady yourself when things (laughs) get overwhelming. Um, So that's my advice. And I want to ask you guys now, what advice do you have to give to those who are trying to navigate their own identity within this complex 
relationship um, or intersectional relationship of feminism and Christianity? Um, I think for me, something that helped me a lot was um, after like engaging conversations with people who don't think like me, like then engaging conversations with people who do think like me. So it helps kind of like reassure me that like my ideas and like what I believe in are not fake and are not dumb. And like, I'm actually like, I have like, like good thoughts and like, like my intentions are good. And like, and so like finding like a Christian feminist, like mentor or like going to a church that like is like more inclusive and like more able, like willing to like promote like feminism within like the like Christian context is like those like communities and like those like events and stuff are important places where you can meet people who think like you Mm -hmm. and like also build a community that you can like turn on and like if if you have like a hard conversation or hard topic that you're talking about with someone like you have like some people to like go back to and be like hey like this is something I was struggling with like can you help me with that and yeah definitely Joanne that is so wise because (laughs) um, these conversations can be exhausting right especially if they call into question our very selves our Christianity you know like my faith has been questioned um my whether I'm a good woman has been questioned um and so having this I mean, the term safe space is used so frequently, but a a place in which you are being resourced and supported um, is so important. And so I would, that sparks in me, knowing when this fight is a good one to have and when it's Mm -hmm. not fruitful, Mm -hmm. knowing the people that simply want to, um, being able to recognize like, okay, I'm not actually being heard. I'm being caricatured. I'm being um, gaslit. I'm Mm -hmm. being... Um, undercut in such a way that this conversation is no no longer productive. It sounds like the conversations you had with people that you were coming from different angles and disagreeing with, those were ones where, as you said, Joanne, like people, you were listening to one another and truly trying to understand those are not all the conversations. And Mm so I would say, uh, just as you were saying, this place for for resource and support, also knowing when conversations are actually harming um, you. And being willing to just say, God's going to work on that person. I trust that God is at work in that person's life. And I'm not God. And so at this point, I've got to step away for my own sake. Um, So that would be one. I would say remain curious and ready to learn. Um, I was ready to maybe, now I don't want to say this is going to be recorded. Oops, what am I going to say? I was ready. (laughs) almost to rip 1 Timothy out of my Bible, okay? So we didn't even get into 1 Timothy. I was re- I, I didn't read it for years. I just was like, I cannot think of an explanation for why this book made it into Scripture. Like, it was really problematic. There it says, I permit no woman to teach or have authority over a man. She's remained silent. That's the conventional translation. But actually, I was asked to speak about it at a particular um, event, and I was <laughs> <laughs> that was not an exciting invitation for me. Uh, and yet, begrudgingly, I was willing to remain curious. Like, well, what what might this text be saying? Mm. Why was it preserved? Why did it need to be said to this particular community or this leader of a community at a particular time? And actually, that just that willingness to go back and look again was enough to— 
like I actually think that most of the ways in which that passage is translated and interpreted in broader thought are just absolutely wrong. The term that is translated as silent doesn't mean this sort of permanent sitting in quiet, but instead um, a waiting for education before turning toward a position of authority, which I'm all in support of. You know, I'm a <laughs> professor. I think education is important before we take on these roles. And so um, a desire to um, learn at all times and be open um, to being surprised. And that's been really a good resource for me. And then the third one I would say is for the Christians out there who feel um, that your Christian identity is in, in question or that you um, that who you are as a woman or a follower of Christ is in question, look to Jesus again and again see Jesus's open arms of welcome to the outcast of the society, to the misunderstood, and particularly to women of all walks of life. Mm. And um, for me, that is a consistent kind of balm when there are moments of pain and question. Yeah. I also wanted to just like highlight the fact that like it's important to understand like when conversations can be really mentally taxing or like really harmful. And I think that like that was something that I had to struggle with, um, like over quarantine with like, with the height of like the Black Lives Matter movement and with like more people coming out and like becoming very like, have very like big political opinions like posted on social media and then like then grappling and like, oh, like how can I have conversations with these people? And um, I've actually like had to talk to a lot of people over quarantine because I was like talking to like having discussions and like arguments with like people left and right and like trying to understand like, okay, well, like to what point is this like going to be like mentally tracking for me? And like, to one point should I like step back and like looking for different signs within like conversations where like it seems, if, if, it, if you feel in your gut feeling that like it's not going to be a productive conversation, it probably isn't going to be a productive conversation. And so it is important to be like, hey, I don't think that this is healthy for me and and like even firsthand like experiencing unhealthy conversations where it made me even question my own worth and like my own beliefs to see like if that like was even like true and so like so yeah I think it, it is really important to understand the differences like I thought that I could have a conversation with everyone I was wrong <laughs> so yeah that's yeah. so wise yeah 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 well, thank you both so much. We are at the end of the episode. Um, I am so grateful for this conversation um, because it's just nice to talk about things. I think that can seem taboo at times to talk about. You feel, you know, like just like, oh, like I hope no one thinks I'm this way or that way by talking about this. But it's so important to talk about these things. And I know um, we're not the only ones who are navigating this on this campus. I think there's a lot of students out there who are trying to figure out all of this themselves. So I hope this conversation is helpful to them as well. Um, before we go, do you guys, you know, have anything that you would like to promote um, about yourself, about what's going on, anything? Um, the only thing I want to promote is coming to break where you can learn more about gender inequalities and ways to like, create like better um like gaps within like the gender um and create like gender equality within like our our like christian campus as well as like in our society um we meet mondays 
I forgot what time. <laughs> Mondays at I believe it's six or five thirty. You can go to at Peel and you break, and they'll yes. tell you the schedule of events and your first event is this next Monday, which is when this podcast will be released, but it'll be released in the morning. So if people who listen to it, they can still still come to our meetings. Yes. Um, It's really fun. Yeah. Our president is Hannah Walt. If anyone knows her, she's She's really been on this podcast before. Yes. She's really active in Point Loma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And actually I want to promote event too, because this podcast will be out by them or be out maybe a couple hours before them, but there is a event, a collaboration between break and OSV um, on Monday from 12 to 1245. It's a virtual event where you'll be hearing from Sarah Thompson, um, who is the executive director um, of Blair Recruiting. She's a very cool woman. She's been the count, the chairperson for like the council of women leadership in San Diego. So she's really cool. Um, and yours truly will be moderating. So hopefully it'll be a good conversation. Who knows? Maybe I can pronounce more words correctly then. Um, but yeah, definitely check that out as well. well and I would say that um, Point Loma has a center for women's studies and yes. we have a women's studies minor. And so if you find yourself interested in this conversation, um, the Women in Christianity course is part of it and where you really can have a whole um, list of matron saints that you look to as um, the great foremothers of um, of this movement um, back before there was even the term feminism. And so do look into our women's studies minor. And um, of course, in biblical studies, we're having these conversations all the time. So take mm-hmm. an elective class with us. Yes, definitely. Yes. Especially Bible 102 <laughs> or 100. <laughs> oh, I don't even know how to say it now. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. I'm sure we will hear from you both in the future, um, but thank you for this episode. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to our podcast and for supporting us. And stay tuned for when we come back in two weeks as we invite Ivy Tran and Matthew Costello to discuss the rise of Asian representation in the media and how it is changing perceptions. Until then, be sure to stay safe and we will see you soon. Take care. This podcast would not be made possible without the Office of Multicultural and International Student Services of Point Loma Nazarene University. It was executively produced by Bella Passi and Sam Kupong. It was written by Fernanda Viana and Bella Passi. Research was done by Fernanda Viana. It was filmed by Kevin Langley from the Media Services Department of Point Loma Nazarene University. Edited by Bella Passi.